Thanks for tuning in to the Foundry Church podcast, where our mission is to make disciples by guiding people to forge a lifelong reliance on God. This week, Pastor Andrew reminds us that prayer is a powerful weapon in taking enemy ground. Prayer breaks prison cells, it heals, and it changes the world because our God is big. God bless. I once read about a man who was flown into the middle of absolutely nowhere Alaska. Like right into the middle, smack dab of the state, no one around for hundreds of miles. And this was in the spring of 1981. And he had plans to photograph, to take uh, cameras and, and photograph the, the changing of the seasons in this remote landscape. He took along with him 500 rolls of film, uh, several firearms for hunting and for security, right? There's big old bears out there, and 1,400 pounds of provisions. Now, as the, as the months passed, the, uh, the words in his diary, his journal, changed from wonder and excitement and fascination into to downright nightmare scenarios, right? In August of that year, he wrote, I think I should have used more foresight in arranging my departure. I guess I'll find out soon enough. Now, in November, he died in a nameless valley by a nameless lake 225 miles northeast of Fairbanks, Alaska. And I don't know if you've been to Fairbanks, but Fairbanks is in the middle of nowhere, an investigation into his death revealed one thing. He had actually carefully planned out his trip to the exact detail, right? to the exact pounds of food he would need. Uh, but he'd forgotten one thing, to plan to be flown out, to be picked up. And so as Christina says, my wife, she says, oopsie poopsie, right? <laughs> Big mistake. Right, Foundry Church, do you ever feel like that? And I know that that's a, a silly example, but do you ever feel like you, you missed something? Right? And you, you find yourself unprepared for what life has brought your way. You think uh, you have to get all your, your ducks in a row only to realize you forgot the ducks. So how are you going to get them into a row? Right, do, you, do you feel like the, that famous scene in Indiana Jones where he finds himself, he's standing there in a fight with the bad guy, and he's looking exhausted, and he pulls out his gun, and he shoots the man wielding the knife? Right, and to be clear, right, we're not Indiana Jones in this example. We're the guy who brought a knife to an actual gunfight because that's what it was. Right, Foundry Church, right, we've been in this series called Taking Enemy Ground, and we've uh, talked about our mission. How do we fulfill the great commission, the last words of Jesus to us, his disciples, to go out into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey these commands as he has taught us. And we do that here at the Foundry Church by guiding people to forge a lifelong reliance on God. Disciples, followers of Jesus, people who forge their life on God, are disciple makers, right? 
Disciples make disciples. That's our mission, right? And then we talked about the strategy a couple weeks ago, how we gather at the altar together as this local outpost of God's kingdom. We gather at the altar. We take communion together. We, we have our, our focus upward in worship and in adoration to God. We, we hear his word. We sing his word. We proclaim his word. We preach his word, right? And then we step up to the table, and we, we get together and, and for dinner, and we get together for meals, like, like the Super Bowl Sunday meal, where we're going to eat chicken wings and have fun, and, and we get together in each other's homes, and we help each other, we study the Bible together, we, we help one another, just as all those one another scriptures that we looked about, right, we, we're there for one another, we care for one another, we support one another, we encourage one another. Right, that's the that's a strategy, and then we go on to the square. Right, we we talked about these things, and then and then last week we talked about how do we know we if we won, right? If we're forged, if we're focused on God's kingdom, if we're owning our spiritual growth, if we're growing as that leader that's worth following, if we're uh, responsible for inviting others to Jesus, if we're uh, seeking Christian community, embracing Christian community, and developing a servant's heart, all that. Mission, strategy, right? The, the, the definition of a win, right? Of what we want to become. We forgot one thing, right? The, the key component to taking enemy ground, we forgot our weapons, Foundry Church. We find ourselves in the midst of a gunfight and we don't even have a knife, right? So, so we're in the middle of the Alaskan tundra with no way out. So today we're going to address that. And for the next couple of weeks, too, and remember, next week, the founder of kids are going to bring the lesson with the help of Pastor Jim downstairs and going to help us talk about one of our weapons. All right, we're going to talk about taking ground with our mission, our strategy, with, with success in mind, but with weapons in hand. So let's dive in. We're still going to be in the book of Acts today. Acts chapter 12 is where we're going to be. Go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, you can use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you, and you can take those with you. Uh, they are free for you to have, to use, to give away. Um, take them, use them. We're going to be in Acts chapter 12, and Acts is in the New Testament. The Bible's divided into two parts. Uh, the Old Testament, the first half, then the New Testament, which is the second half. And you go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 12. Use the table of contents if you need to. Acts chapter 12. All right, so this is what's happening as you're turning there. Persecution has scattered all of the believers. Everyone who's been forging their life on God, they're starting to scatter because everywhere they have scattered, though, a church is being formed. A church, a local outpost, a movement of people is starting in the name of Christ. All right, and so this persecution is actually a pretty good thing, even though it's really a bad thing, right? It's, it's spreading the church. It's spreading the mission. And the believers, they're on mission. They're doing whatever it takes short of sin for the sake of one more soul. They're just trying to reach people with the grace and the truth of Jesus, guiding them to forge that lifelong reliance on God. And that's what's taking place. They're gathering at the altar. They're stepping up to the table, and they're going out to the square, and they're becoming forged believers of Jesus. They're taking enemy ground. That's, that's where we're finding ourselves in Acts chapter 12. And then the enemy begins to take notice, and, 
and they're, they're, they're losing their minds, right? They're freaking out. They're, 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 they're worried. They're concerned about all these different movements, all these different local outposts of God's kingdom. And so let's take a look at what happens. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 5, right? Read it along with me in your Bible, all right? So don't take my word for it. It says this, about the time... About that time, Herod, the king, laid violent hands. He's throwing hands, right? He laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to uh, four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. All right, keep your, keep your finger right there. So King Herod is not uh, liking what's going on with the Christians. This, this King Herod is Herod Agrippa I, right? the grandson of Herod the Great. Now for all you history buffs, if you're a history uh, person like myself, right, Herod the Great ruled in the days of Jesus' birth. Right, you know uh, the Herod the Great who, who ordered the execution of all the male children under the age of two in and around the city of Bethlehem. So that, that was, was Grandpa Herod the Great. But then there was Uncle Herod Antip, uh, Antipas. Right? He had a, a, a role in the trial of Jesus during Jesus' death. He's the one who made fun of Jesus and put a royal robe on him. So I guess we could say that, that ruining the life of Jesus and his followers was sort of this family business for these, these Herods. Right, so, so King Herod, Agrippa I, decides to keep the family business going and kills John's brother, James. And when he finds out people like this, he arrests this other leader of the church, or the, one of these other people that are responsible for this, this outbreak, this spreading of this, this, this Jesus' message. He arrests Peter, and no doubt he had every intention of killing Peter in the morning. He puts him in jail. He's going to kill him in the morning. And the church is no doubt scared. They're terrified, Foundry. They're they're scared, right? This is Peter who had been their main preacher. This is Peter, their main teacher and their main leader. Uh, What are they going to do if they, they lose Peter? And so they take up their weapons and they start to fight back. That's what they did. They took up arms. But their weapon is not a sword. Their weapon is not a run for political office to overthrow King Herod. Their weapon is not a strongly worded email to the manager. That's not their weapon, right? What does it say that their weapon is? Look at verse 5 again. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Yeah, their their weapon was prayer, right? Their their weapon was prayer, and not just any kind of prayer, but earnest prayer, right? Think about that, right? In the the battle, uh, in this battle, Herod had his soldiers, right? With their shields, with their swords, with their spears, and their wealth, and, and Herod had his prisons, Uh, with their shackles, with their gates and bars, and with the guards, right? But the church, well, 
this, this local movement of people, these gatherings of people, they had the power of earnest prayer. Right, okay, now some of you guys, I get it, you're rolling your eyes, and you're thinking, <laughs> okay, prayer, isn't that kind of like bringing a knife to a gunfight? I mean, it's, it's, good. it's a good thing to do, it's a good thing to have, but it's not really going to make a difference in the battle. You think, you think it's like this, right? Take a look at this clip, this is one of my favorite movies from back in the day. Series 4, De-Atomizer. That's what I'm talking about. Noisy cricket. Hey, Kane, no, no, come on, man. You, you get a, a series four of the atomizer, I, I get a little, little midget cricket. Oh, yeah. Now, look, now to be honest, right, a lot of us in here, we think uh, of prayer like that, right? We, we think it's like that little noisy cricket. It's small, not powerful. It's just a puny little weapon. But let's, let's really peel this onion because I think we'll find that it's much more powerful than we've ever dreamed. And if you've seen the rest of the movie, you know the, it is the biggest gun that there is out there, right? It makes the biggest explosion, right? Uh, so I, what I want you to do is in your Bible, I want you to circle that word earnest, right? Right, circle that word in your Bible because this is a special kind of prayer. It's not the prayer that you quickly pray before dinner so that you don't get sick on your wife's cooking, right? That's not, it's not that kind of prayer, right? And it's not the prayer that, that you just throw up to God before the test when you've only studied for 30 minutes and you're hoping that you pray, you'll magically remember everything that's in the textbook. It's not that kind of prayer, Right? It's not the, the type of prayer that you're praying in the hallway as you walk up to your boss's office and you're hoping to get some time off and you're, you're hoping to catch them in a good mood. Right? It's not that prayer. Right? This, is, this is earnest prayer. And now in the original language, this word is ektenos, right? and this is a medical term. Right? When, when it says earnest in your Bible, it's a medical term describing the stretching of muscles to its limit. Right, that's, that's this type of prayer, right? Earnest prayer is stretching yourself to the limit. It's laying bare before the Lord God who you're forging your life on, your needs, your pain, your hopes, your dreams, your concerns, your petitions, your intercessory for others. Now, well, this is what I want us to do. I, want you to, I just want you to raise your hands up right where you sit, as high as you can go. All right? All right, just raise them up as high as you can go. Now go an inch higher. Go an inch higher. Just go an inch higher. Make it. There you go. You went a whole foot higher. All right? All right? That's earnest prayer. All right? It's not the first. Oh, my hands are as high as they can go. All right? No. They can go higher. We can do things. All right? That's earnest prayer. It's, it's a pleading, a throwing everything you have into it kind of prayer. A prayer that literally stretches you uh, to the limit. Right? Do, do you know the other place that this word is used? All right, let's look at this. Look, flip over or forward, like back in the beginning of your Bible. It's still in the New Testament to Luke chapter 22. All right? This is where it's used again. Luke chapter 22 says this. All right, in, the, in this garden, the night that Jesus was about to be turned over to uh, the guards for execution, Jesus is praying in the garden, and it says this in verse 44 of chapter 22. It says, and being in agony, he prayed more, what? Fervently. 
earnestly. Yeah? And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Right? Jesus' life was literally hanging in the balance, Foundry Church. All of eternity, Foundry Church, was holding its breath because of what was about to happen. The greatest battle was about to begin that was ever to be taken place. And Jesus' weapon was what? Earnest prayer. Prayer that stretched to the limit, right? right? Just like those people in that church in Acts, right? And this was not a prayer that sounded like, hmm, hey, God, right? If you got a minute, our boy Peter, eh, he's kind of goofy, but he's got himself in a jam, right? If you got some time, God, it would be cool if you could take care of this situation. It wasn't that type of prayer. Right? This was an earnest prayer, a stretching prayer, a prayer that went to the limit, a prayer that makes blood come from your pores. It was a prayer that sounded like the drums of war, Foundry Church. A prayer that sounded like the angels in heaven were taking up arms and are going to storm the gates on your behalf. Right? A prayer that sounded like the people of that church are flat on their face before the God of the universe all day and all night begging God who they forged their life on to save their friend, to save their preacher, to save their pastor, to save their leader, Peter. And let's look at what happens. Flip back to Acts chapter 12. All right, Verses 6. says, now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. So he's literally chained to his guards, right? And then there's two guards in front of the cell as well, right? And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in his cell, he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Hey, get up, buddy. Saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. We got work to do. No, I just added that. <laughs> and he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know uh, that what was uh, being done by the angel was real, but, but thought he was seeing a vision. When he had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron, then coming to the iron gate leading into the city, it opened for them on its own accord. And they went out and went along uh, one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent this angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. <laughs> When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose mother, uh, whose other name was Mark, when, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're on your mind. But she kept on insisting that it was so, so they uh, kept saying, it's, it's, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. 
Now listen, right? their, their weapon worked, right? It worked. Victory was at hand. It was amen, hallelujah, praise be type of situation, right? It worked. Their weapon brought down an angel from heaven. Their, their weapon, this, this prayer, this earnest stretching prayer, it made the chains fall off their hands, right? Off, off Peter's hands. It made the guards stay asleep. It made the gates open up on their own accord, right? Their earnest prayers changed everything. And then it gets to my favorite part in the story. All right, Peter is free, and he goes to Mary's house to see his friends and to tell them that their earnest prayers had been heard and rewarded. And Rhoda, oh Rhoda, <laughs> right, she, she answered the door and she promptly shut it in Peter's face, right? We'd say, oh, bless her heart, all right? <laughs> Right? You can't make this stuff up. It's comedy gold, right? The, the man that they've been praying for, the man that they were asking God to save, shows up at the house alive and well, and Rhoda leaves him in the street because she's so excited. Right? Rhoda, this man is on the run from prison. He needs to come in off the street. But she just leaves him there standing and runs and tells everyone in the house. And, 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 get, and they don't... She gets there, and they don't believe her, right? They don't believe uh, sweet, innocent Rhoda. They don't believe that their weapon had worked, right? And I think this is an important note for us today, Foundry Church, right? Look, right? Their prayer was earnest. It was stretching, but their faith was little, right? Right, listen, church, you may have the name of a person in your mind who's far from God, Right, and, and, and you've written their name on a, a padlock that we're, gonna, that we're hanging on to. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to the first sermon in this series on our podcast. Right? But it's, it's just someone in your life who you know, and it might be you, who doesn't have a saving, uh, forging relationship with God. And you're going you're gonna to do what it takes to forge ahead for the sake of that soul this year. To lead them into a relationship with God. And so you're written their name on their lock and, and you think, right? You think, man, there's, there's no way that my friend, my family, this person, my neighbor, this dude can come to Christ. There's just absolutely no way that this person can be saved. There's no way that this person can ever forge their life on God. They're just a screw-up. I'm a screw-up. Who knows, right? This person is a locked away in a prison cell, in the prison of their own disbelief and shame, so tight is holding them like chains that they can never be saved. But you just have the smallest little bit of hope. <laughs> you have the smallest little bit of hope that maybe, just maybe, there might be a miracle. It's just a tiny, tiny, tiny little speck of faith. And God looks at that, he says, I can use that. I can use that. That little bit of faith with your earnest prayers, we're going to save that person. Right? The, the, this story is, is proof that little faith can accomplish great things if it is placed in the hands of a great God through earnest prayer. Right? Because you see, an earnest prayer does not depend on our faith. It depends on our God. Right? The God that we forge our life on. And if it is the will of God, well, then nothing can get in its Foundry Church. Right, I know that there are a number of bars of iron in our way. Things that are holding us, keeping us, right, 
from, from prayers being answered, from, from prisons uh, being escaped, from th- just things holding us back. Fallen trees, canyons, gates, however we say it. Maybe it's, it's money, maybe it's a disability, maybe it's, it's that cancer diagnosis or a virus, aging. Maybe it's just hostile adversaries that are holding us back. Whatever, lack of training, uh, discouragement, fear, anger, unjust policies, uh, prejudice, lost hope, whatever it is, right? We could go on and on. Things that are keeping us from attacking and taking enemy ground. But if God has a good purpose for you, and he always does, Foundry Church, every gate will open if he wants it to. Nothing can separate us from that. Right? Every, every mountain will move if he wants it to. Every obstacle will fall flat to the ground if he wants it to. We just have to earnestly pray for his will to be done, Foundry. Now, I think for far too long, most of us, just being honest, myself included, have thought that prayer is just a box to check and that nothing really happens. Right, we, 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 we step up to the table, we go to Iron Council, we go to our table groups or our Bible studies, we, we, we get together with each other and pray for each other, right? And, and people go around and you hear things like, you know, I'm just going to have travel, I'm going to pray for traveling mercies, right? I'm going to travel, give me, give me some prayer for my travel. Or, or someone asks for prayer for their, their aunt or to help them find a new job or for some more traveling mercies. Those are good things, but that's not the prayer we're called to, right? We pray for those things, yes, but that's not the start and finish of our prayers, right? Because something is missing in those prayers. Sure, those prayers have their place, but they are small fry of what prayer is, right? Prayer is a weapon that can be used during wartime. I've heard it said like this, that prayer is the wartime walkie-talkie. It is our connection to the command center as we wage uh, this war called life, as we forge our life on God, as we uh, try to live this abundant life, life to the full that Jesus has called us to, as we forge that lifelong reliance on him. Listen, God is more like a general in command central than a butler uh, waiting to bring you another mint for your pillow. Right? It is in this fallen world where prayer functions best when we keep the frequency turned to command central in the fight of faith. Right? When you are in battle, you don't call back to the general and ask him for what's, what's for dinner, like what MREs are being passed out, right? right? You don't call back to command center and say, hey, you know, general, it's a little uncomfortable here in this foxhole. All right, can we just uh, maybe fall back a little bit and get, get, get into a nice little warm cot? Right, you don't call back to the command center and say, man, things are, are getting messy down here. I could really use a vacation. Right, when do I go on leave? You don't ask those things in the middle of the battle. Right? I mean, I, I guess we could, right? But the general's not going to be too happy or obliging of those requests. No, when right, you're in the middle of the battle, you get on that walkie-talkie, you get on that radio, and you ask for things like more weapons, more soldiers, new ways to attack the enemy. You ask for clarification on the battle plan, right? That is what real prayer is, right? Look, earnest prayer is a conversation with the general about taking enemy ground. We don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to have all the, the answers. We, we, heck, we don't even have to have a lot of faith, like we said, because in earnest prayer, the prayer is not about us. It is about the general and his will, his plan. 
It's, it's about him taking enemy ground and us being open to being used by him to do that. Right? Don't take this lightly, Foundry Church. In earnest prayer, we stand before the God who founded the earth, who stretched out the sky. We stand before him in earnest prayer. The, the God who formed the spirit that is within us. In earnest prayer, we stand before the one who split the sea and caused the waters to pile up in heaps. In earnest prayer, Foundry Church, we stand before the Almighty who shook the mountain to the very roots when he descended on Sinai. Right, in earnest prayer, we stand before the one who gave a baby to a virgin and sent that baby to the cross to die and then rose again from the dead three days later. Victory, Foundry Church. In earnest prayer, we stand before the general who already has the victory in his hands. Earnest prayer, our prayers are our big prayers before a, a big God with big plans to take more and more enemy ground. So that's my challenge to us today. Right? The, the application is so simple. It's simply this. Pray earnest big prayers. Right? Pray earnest big prayers. Right? Be like the church in Acts who believed just enough in the one that they were praying to that they freed Peter. Be like the church in Acts who prayed so earnestly that city gates swung wide on their own accord. Uh, be like the church in Acts who did not pray for small fry things, but prayed for the impossible. Right, let me just list a few of these things that the early church prayed for uh, as they were a local outpost of the kingdom of God. Things that we are called to pray for as a local outpost of the kingdom of God. Right, we're called in Luke to pray for God to, to vindicate his people in their cause to take enemy ground. In Romans chapter 10, uh, they prayed for God to save unbelievers. Right, the, the, the names on our lots, those who are far from God, we're called to pray for them daily. In the book of uh, Ephesians, uh, the early church, they prayed for God to direct the use of the sword, his word. How are we going to use this? Right? In Acts chapter 4, they prayed for God to make them bold, courageous, as they declare his good news, as they declare that Jesus is the Christ, the way to heaven, the way for, eternity, for eternal life. In the book of James, they prayed for God to heal their, their wounded comrades. In Acts, uh, they prayed for God to raise the dead. In Acts, again, they prayed for God to send out reinforcements, always bringing people into the, the, the ranks. Right? In John, they, they continued that prayer for unity in the ranks. In Ephesians chapter 3, they prayed for power to comprehend the love of Christ. Power, supernatural vision, supernatural wisdom in order to share that. They prayed for strength and endurance in Colossians. In Mark, they prayed for great faith. Right? In Romans chapter 15, they prayed for the success of missionaries and other outposts all around the world. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, they prayed for that God would complete their resolve to keep fighting, to never give in, to keep forging ahead, as we would say. Church Foundry. These are prayers that we should be earnestly praying, big prayers, prayers that change the world, prayers that mean something. Yes, we should pray for small things because God cares about the small things, but earnestly we should be praying big prayers of battles won, right? Enemies vanquished, ground taken, lives saved, chains being thrown off, captives set free in the name of Christ, big prayers, prayers that change eternity. 
as the band comes back up, you know, let me tell you this story. Uh, you might have seen the movie Dunkirk, and it, it talks about the, uh, some 400,000 soldiers who were sitting utterly exposed on the shore of the English Channel. They were in France. Uh, they, were, they were not storming the beach, but they were retreating into that sand, into that surf. Only 20 miles of water stood between them and their homeland safety, but there was no way to cross this channel. <laughs> it was all ocean. You see, Dunkirk had such a, a shallow beach, Royal Navy vessels, they couldn't get in there to reach these soldiers, these stranded soldiers. So the soldiers are stuck. They're praying on the brink of military disaster, Churchill called for an immediate evacuation, right? And he had hoped to rescue 45,000 of these men. That was his goal. A horrifyingly small 10% of the troops that were trapped at Dunkirk is what he wanted to rescue. Uh, he believed that the other 355,000 were lost, barring a miracle. Right on the first day of the operation, they were only able to evacuate about 7,500 men from Kirk. 500, right? Around 10,000 got out the next day. Things were not looking good. And then the call came out for all the smaller ships, all the, the, the little boats, even the, the fishing trawlers, even the personal uh, boats of people, like their, 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 their leisure craft, anything that could cross the channel, bring it, right? So some 800 to 1,200 boats, many of them were those fishing crafts or privately owned leisure craft, aided in the evacuation from Dunkirk, right? Some of them were, were driven by the actual boat owner. Some were, were Navy, Navy personnel kind of took them over, but others were just by regular folks in these small boats, fishing crews, Right, by the time the evacuation ended, some 198,000 British and 140,000 French troops would manage to get off the beaches at Dunkirk. A total of 338,000 men of those 400,000. That's what earnest prayer is. Right, it is us bringing what little we have. <laughs> and we do. We got little. It's bringing what little we have, a small fishing boat of faith to the shore of a huge battle and God using it to save his people. Because victory's at hand, he can do whatever he wants. It is our little earnest prayer being used by the God of the universe to change the world. Look at this, right? An earnest prayer with a little bit of faith to our big God is the greatest weapon there has ever been and ever will be. That's what we're called to. Bring your little bit of faith to earnest prayer. And watch that name on your lock, that person who you know who's far from God, doesn't have a relationship with him, and again, maybe it's you. Watch your family, the people in your family who don't know Jesus, your neighbors, your friends who don't know Jesus, who don't know what it means to live life to the full. A life that we were created to live. Right? You bring that little prayer, a little faith to a big God. Watch what he does, Founder Church. Watch what he does.
Let's stand and worship this God who we forge our life on.